Welcome to Together We Grow, our podcast at Mercy Connect. Join us as we explore the world of disability, interviewing guests who share their story and insights on their experience with disability. Hi, it's Trent Dean here, and welcome to this final episode for Season 1 of the Together We Grow podcast series. Sponsored by Mercy Connect, this podcast series sets out to explore a range of contemporary issues and trends impacting people with disability and those working within the disability sector. I'd like to acknowledge the people of the Wiradjuri Nation who are the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. Now, today I'm speaking with Jen Tate, who is the Managing Director of Purple Chicken, a for-purpose organisation that explores and develops new models and opportunities for people with disability that are often only available in urban uh, locations. Now, Jen has been a strong advocate for innovation in the disability sector for over 25 years, with a clear focus on employment and self-advocacy. Jen's been heavily involved as a locally as a, as a board director, committee management member, and chair of local organisations since her arrival in the Albury region, Albury-Wodonga region, about 13 years ago. Jen is also a carer of a person with a disability and is very passionate about the benefits and importance of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, or otherwise known as the NDIS. And through the NDIS, Jen has witnessed the immense difference it can make to people with a disability through the creation of opportunities and achievement of life goals in line with their non-disabled peers, essentially so that people with disability can truly enjoy true equity within our community. Now, it's great to have you here with me today, Jen, in the Thank 2AY you. studios. Thank you. Yeah. So, Jen, first of all, I'm really interested to hear about Purple Chicken. It's a, a fun name and, and well-known within our community, but uh, what motivated you to start the organisation and maybe talk a little bit about it? Yeah. So, I have a passion for employment uh, for people uh, with disabilities specifically, but disadvantaged job seekers in general. I have been involved in the sector and have been learning for a long time in the sector and I wanted to stretch what was possible, explore what was possible and often you see things happening in metropolitan areas that just don't seem to get to regional areas. Um, it all kicked off like nearly 10 years ago when uh, I met a bunch of families whose kids were ageing out of Belvoir School and um, we were like, okay, let's explore what is out there. So we visited lots of service providers and because we were coming from a perspective of we wanted our young people to have inclusion and be involved in mainstream environments, uh, particularly around employment, that's where we started. So we achieved some funding from the Lord Mayor's Charitable Foundation in Melbourne mm. and we started the employment uh, circles of Support Project under the auspices of what was then DAIS, the local advocacy organisation. Yeah. And we learned so much about young people being supported uh, in a voluntary way or un with paid supports in mainstream employment. Uh, from there, there was a couple of other projects with different organisations, Gateway Health and mm. so on. And then it sort of I reached a point in my learning where I felt it was like I could talk about it till the cows come mm. home, but I just had to show people. Yeah. So that's where I went to Tracy Kellogg, who's also a um, person who has children with disabilities, who had been a chef for 30 years uh, in the local area and also was a disability support worker. And I said, look, what do you think about starting a cafe, mm. a training cafe for people with disabilities? Because a cafe is an environment in which you can learn just about every skill for uh, independent living that you can think of. Mm. Uh, from 
safe food, how to handle food safely, how to recognise which food is safe to eat, how to prepare food, how to clean up after food, how to clean mm. in general, how to uh, you use um, point-of-sale equipment and do customer service, but also um, math skills, reading skills, writing skills. It's just It covers pretty much everything you can possibly think of. So that's why we chose CAFE. If Tracy had said no to me, um, <laughs> it probably wouldn't have happened. Uh, and then from there, we a lot of women particularly because they're generally caregivers for people with disabilities, became interested and wanted to work with us. So uh, from a from this perspective we're speaking from, it was designed to create opportunity and learning for people, young people with disabilities, predominantly with uh, autism, intellectual disability, but that has obviously grown over time, but also to provide an employment opportunity for people who are carers who need flexible work arrangements. Mm. So if you're a carer of a person with a disability um, and that person before the NDIS um, didn't have access to after-school care or holiday care, uh, you had nothing. Once they were over 12, there really was absolutely nothing. Wow. If, um, like in our case, you're getting called by the school five minutes after you've dropped him off or um, throughout the day, Trying to find a job between 9.30 and 2.30 during the school term, yeah. uh, it's really, really difficult for carers. The NDIS um, has changed that quite a lot uh, because it means people actually can get someone, if their funding uh, covers it, to support that child after school or in school holidays. So Purple Chicken came about from so many different reasons. Yeah. Need, um, the, the idea of trying to find a way to provide something really meaningful and fun and enjoyable uh, while transitioning people to employment. That was all going swimmingly. We started in October <laughs> 2019. Yeah. It was going beautifully. We had 14 people in and out to jobs. I feel like something happened after that very yeah, closely. Yeah, you know, first global <laughs> pandemic in 100 years when Jen starts a business. But anyway, yeah, yeah. and um, everything just stopped. Hmm. So that opportunity just died. Hospitality was killed. And that's when we started looking at other ideas and where Red Bantam and Blue Goose came about. And I think two things that struck me with Purple Chicken, and, and I really appreciate you going through that for our listeners, is that that piece that you've picked, the, the cafe, the working in a kitchen, the life skills that are gained from that are just absolutely essential. Would that be a fair comment? Absolutely. Some of the young people we worked with had never cleaned a toilet. Mm. And, you know, just the the discovery of the gaps in people's learning. When you have a person, a young person with a disability, um, and particularly this is relevant for our artists program, the first however many years, you're not concentrated on ABC, one, two, three, red, yellow, blue. You're concentrated on really big stuff mm. like language development, like toileting, mm. um, social interactions, uh, being able to communicate the big stuff. Activities of life. Yeah. Yes. Mm. So the, the stuff that non-disabled kids learn by osmosis, if that's the mm, right word, mm. by just being present and, oh, can you go and get that out of the fridge? Oh, no, it's your turn to dry up or whatever. They kind of miss out on that. Mm. So it can reach adult life with not as many skills, practical life skills, mm. I guess, um, 
as their non-disabled peers, it also can take people a lot longer to learn something. So um, the reason why we operate as a centre-based day program for the purposes of the NDIS and not a training organisation is that the young people who work with us have a really broad range of learning types and styles and capacities. So um, someone might learn how to make a beautiful latte in 30, 40, 50 iterations. Another person, it might take thousands of iterations Mm. to learn how to do that independently. So our environment and the wonderful NDIS allows us to work with people at their pace. And the second thing about Purple Chicken, which I greatly admire, is that skill development to potentially get people a job. And I'm interested on your views on this and what sort of challenges you're seeing with people with disability and they're facing when they are seeking employment. What sorts of things are you noting, the challenges? Yeah. I think a lot of it's perception. It really does depend, though, on what the person's personal barriers are, um, where they fit in the employment seeking market. So for some people, they can go to a DES provider, a disability employment service provider like the personnel group Mm. and be successful in that environment. We tend to um, work with the people who have had less success in that environment because their barriers are slightly greater, but they still want to have employment. Um, The The landscape has changed because of COVID even further. So I would say now it's even more difficult than it was before COVID. And what do you put that down to? Uh, I don't know, just the the marketplace has changed. Um, People's confidence levels have changed. Um, We are in a period of low unemployment. Mm. So uh, the opportunities to employ people are higher. So... uh, they're looking for so for example people often say to me oh there's loads of jobs in hospitality at the moment and I'm like yep there are for people who can hit the ground running Mm. so because so many people retrained out of hospitality into other areas there's a shortage yeah but our young people will need supports Mm. the particular group that we work with will need supports moving forward right might be little supports Mm. might be supports for 12 months Um, I think the employer, the market is looking for people who can rock on in and hit the ground running and really be super, super productive without additional supports. Mm. That's just my mm. my feeling at the moment, yeah. And it feels counterintuitive given we went through a period where there was quarantine, there was people isolated, there was more remote working. Mm. And so it does seem counterintuitive that people aren't able to engage with that or you know work with people who may be uh, more comfortable in the home environments working remotely uh, potentially. But to your point, um, we have to make sure people are supported uh, in these environments. And the funding only goes so far yeah. and the supports only go so far. Would that be a fair observation as well? Or Yes, it is. If you rely on the... Um If you rely on the NDIS Mm. to put the funding in a specific category to get what you want. So one of the reasons why we in um, those those parts of our business are non-registered. So one of our businesses is registered for support coordination and plan management. Mm -hmm. The others are not. It gives us a much broader range of flexibility. So um, often people don't 
achieve a lot of funding in the finding and keeping a job line item, for example. Yep. Yep. So we don't even use that. We mm. don't even look at it. We use the centre-based day program line item. Yep. Um, so we're a centre-based day program, yeah. but we don't operate in a traditional sense. So It's an innovative model, it's how yeah, I'm hearing it. Our focus is all about that capacity building and vocational training, employment preparation, getting the skills that you need to even start looking for a job. So that's not necessarily resume writing. That's not really applicable to our group of people. Mm. Um, But it's about working in a team, taking instruction, understanding the hierarchy in a workplace, that how you interact with your managing director is different to how you interact with your team The dynamics, as it were. All of that sort Mm. of stuff that they're not... People... Well, I'm not a classroom learner myself, but... You've got to learn it by doing it, Mm. experiencing it. So we've had people come out of school with a a level of learning, I guess, but because they're implementing it daily or in real life with real customers and real point of sale and real money and real everything, the speed at which they learn speeds up. Mm. So we see um, outcomes that after 13 years of schooling weren't quite reached are now being reached because it has practical application, mm. I think. Yeah, I'm not a... Not a psychologist no. or an educator, but it makes perfect sense. But yeah. that's what we've observed, yeah. And, you know, working with the people with disability that you do and the skills development you're, you're building up with them, what advice would you give someone who's listening to this podcast or a family member or guardian even uh, with someone wanting to get a job with a disability? What, what sort of advice would you give them? The first thing I will say to you, and I say this to every family of a young child, don't wait till they're 18. Mm. So start looking at about seven years of age for those things that uh, the young person shows some sort of aptitude, talent, interest, strength in, and then utilise that to teach pre-employment skills, right? So that sounds crazy, teaching seven-year-olds pre-employment skills. But I'll give you an example. So my young man, um, he he could tell you every item on the Hungry Jack's uh, menu, and what was in everything, didn't eat it, hmm. but he could tell you everything about it, the pricing, everything. So, you know, when we're getting ready to go to sleep at night, we'd play a game called going through the drive through hmm. So I would go into the drive through and I would say, oh, I would, could I please have blah, 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 blah. And then he would figure out the price of that. And that's how he started to learn um Money, the, mm. you know, that money costs the burger. The utility and the value meal. of money. Yes, yes that's right, yeah, and yeah. what I can get for it. Um, so that was an opportunity for learning that was a pre-employment skill. Amazing. Does that make sense? At yep. a very young age, yeah. Yeah, but then he lost interest in that. So that's, to me, wonderful because he's picked up an interest in something else with a whole other set of skills. Mm. So... It's never wasted if you use whatever that interest is, particularly people with autism. Um, use that interest that they have in something to build some skills around it. Uh, then, as that goes on, they've got the opportunity to then build on those skills for their next interest or their next interest. With my young person, he um, started reading number plates at 18 months, right? Mm. We're walking around with a stroller. He couldn't communicate with me, but he could read number plates. That's led to a um, 
basically 17-year interest in four-wheel drives and driving, okay? He loves maps. So he'll get on the computer and he will Google Maps and he'll go all over Australia. Yep. He can read addresses. Yep. What's the perfect job for this young man? Yeah, absolutely. He's going to be a delivery driver. Absolutely. Or or a logistic planner or there's lots of things there, yeah. For him, it'll probably be a delivery driver. Yep. So... We've done a lot of work on that. Um, mm. Red Bantam has presented us with a beautiful opportunity because we um, manufacture rags for industry. They have to be delivered. I've got a funny feeling. I know what your next uh, enterprise will be well, <laughs> in we, a very growing long list of enterprises. Yeah, yeah so he, he actually came up with the name, which was so awesome. We were on holidays and um, he said, um, Yellow Stalk. Oh, you, you've got nearly every bird covered. There's a few more to go, but that's fantastic. But he came up with yellow stock. We deliver everything yeah. except babies. <laughs> and I went, that's brilliant. <laughs> so I got straight on the ASIC site and registered it. Oh, yeah, and we, we've heard it first here today, folks, so you can't now use that. This is this is dedicated to yellow stalk. Yeah, but that's an example of how you can be um, looking, supporting, growing scaffolding through to he's now 17. We mm. spent two years... Um, prior to him turning 16, where he did all the, um, you know, Vic Roads in Victoria. Mm. Vic Roads has, um, you can practice test. We did those mm. for two years. He got his L's the day he turned 16. Wow. Yep. So think it out. Be really observant. Um, see what your kid is really into and support them on that journey. That's fantastic. And it, it leads into my, my next question. You're sort of already touching on it, but maybe taking a different slant, I'm interested in what are some of the other key challenges you face and you very kindly offered the fact that you, you support a family member with disability and I'm interested to know what sort of key challenges you have faced and more importantly how you've overcome them as advice to those that might be listening today. Uh, so we were over on the far south coast when um, we had our young man and uh, as he was progressing two, three I couldn't get a diagnosis. I couldn't get any. I couldn't even find a private speech therapist. Um, so we ended up making the choice to move over here to Aubrey Wodonga. Mm-hmm. Within three months, um, we had a diagnosis. Now that was key. So a lot of people say, not a lot of people. Some people say um, they don't want to put labels on their kids. Um, I disagree with that. It's not about labeling. It's about having the tools you need to know what to do. Mm. So um, was it hard? Absolutely. Was it great? Absolutely. Because knowing what his disability was, um, I didn't recognise it because it looked different to everyone else I knew who was on the autism spectrum. Um, Knowing that and then going, right, what do we do now was brilliant because then I had the, the information to move forward. Uh, then back then they had helping children with autism funding um, up to the age of seven because apparently after seven you didn't have autism anymore. That's me. Yeah. Yep, weird. Um, and within three months of being here, we had a diagnosis with a paediatrician. We had assessments by um, psychologists, speech therapists, occupational therapy. We're very lucky in Aubrey mm. Wodonga. Mm. We've got everything mm. here. Uh, and he was, you know, receiving early intervention supports. Um, was it easy? No, it wasn't easy. Um, was it confronting? Absolutely. Mm. Uh, was it worth doing? Hell yes, it was. The reason why it is so important to 
um, be the mama bear or the daddy bear and get out there and learn this stuff and find the supports and fight for the supports for your kids is that it will change their trajectory. Mm. Their lives will be different. So we prefer to work, I prefer to work with um, young people, ideally 15, if you're really serious about the job um, prospects, through to 30. Now, the reason for that is, and this probably doesn't sound particularly caring and compassionate, but it is, um, people, older people with disabilities weren't afforded the same opportunities mm. and the same early intervention is a relatively mm. new thing, say, say 20 years. Um, so their opportunity for being successful in mainstream employment is um, less because they, in general terms, haven't had that early intervention and those opportunities. What they also haven't had is expectation and aspiration. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in 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 times gone by, there were people, obviously, quite a lot of people who did have those families that had the privilege of so many things: um, money, education, access, mm-hmm. uh, and those young people had good outcomes. But predominantly there was low expectation for people with disabilities. So employment wasn't really often on the Mm. radar. And if it was, it was a particular style of employment. Almost a sheltered workshop. Yeah, that sort of Mm. stuff. Um, Not that that's bad. Mm. Um, It's just now it's different. And like if we can continue to innovate... By no means, by no means have I learned enough or have we gone far enough yet to find a place that you would consider to be best practice in this space. Mm. There's still so much to learn. People with disabilities still don't have equity in the job market. Mm. Um, There's a long, long way to go and a lot more to learn and I'll probably be dead by then, but... Hopefully, there'll be other people who come along and build on whatever we manage to get to. Um, yeah, I can't remember where I was going with no, that. No, I, I think it's a, a fantastic train of thought, and um, I'm doing my maths in my head. I would suspect that you were probably the early entrant into the NDIS back when it started in 2013, I'm assuming around that time. Well, yeah? I was with Gateway Health when right. it um, came in. I was very fortunate to have been given an opportunity. It was my re-entry back into the community services area uh, and I was ready to go. Mm. I had customers ready to go but Gateway wasn't quite ready Mm. yet then so um, I moved on from Gateway and started another organisation with um, another person and so we were there when those very first plans came out and looked like Greek (laughs) and it was like I remember reading one it said improved life choices and I was so excited I'm like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And then I read a bit further and realised it was paying the bills. But <laughs> <laughs> And I know I get excited about paying the bills, yeah. But it, that was still, like, it didn't feel exciting in the moment. But improved life choices or um, plan management mm. means that people with disabilities have real choice. It, they didn't at the start because there wasn't, you know, a huge, um, there was your traditional service providers that have been in the market for a long time. Mm. Um, but now, 
Sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. And that's certainly my observation, um, you know, working with Mercy Connect and the industry more largely is that moving from an institutionalised model mm. and you've also got to change the mindsets of the people yeah. that worked in that sector. And it is, it's, it's got great opportunity potential. Mm. And I'm interested, you've already touched on it a little bit, but what's been your direct experience when dealing with the NDIS mm. and perhaps the NDIA? Any sort of observations or thoughts? It's been mixed. Um I think we have to look at it in a broader context. So it's the biggest social reform since Medicare, Mm. right? That's a massive undertaking. Uh, People often say they were flying the plane while they were still building it. But I don't see that there is any other way that they could have gone about it because how do you know Mm. what's going to work and what's going to be the best unless you start actually doing it and trialling it out? Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Is it better than what we had? Yes, it is. Does it have potential mm. to improve, change, build, grow, be better? Absolutely. At the end of the day, though, the NDIS is just money. They don't actually do anything mm. other than fund people. Um, you, you get good and bad experiences with every interaction with the NDIS because um, you're dealing with people. Mm. So that's just going to happen. Um, I think it's the best thing ever so far. Yes. It's still not the best thing. And as you know, there's the review taking place at the moment with the results expected, which will date this interview. But in yep. the next month, we're expecting to see, and there's already given, um, I think, 10 points of what the new review will reveal. Uh, so I think we're all with bated breath. But I, I agree from my perspective that uh, I'm, I'm not a naysayer against the NDIS. I equally feel that it is always an element of bureaucracy with any yep. government-delivered system. I think the challenge is also making sure that those specialist services and things that Perhaps the states may be weaning back on or dropping off because they think the NDIS is going to cover it, mm. leaving these gaps in the market. Have yep. you experienced anything Absolutely. like that? Absolutely. I think uh, government departments going, oh, no, that's not us, that's you. And then them going, no, that's not us, that's you, means people miss out. Mm. I also, the, the biggest flaw that I see with the NDIS, and I see it regularly, is that the most vulnerable people are still the most vulnerable people. Mm. So for me, I've read the Act. I know I can use their guidelines, you know, I can print them out, I can quote them back to them. I can say, well, on this page, on your website, it says da-da-da. In the NDIS Act, it says this, you have to fund this. I can do that. So for a person who has a serious psychosocial disability... Making the phone call is impossible. It's almost an inbuilt discrimination or inequity, correct? Absolutely. Mm. And like if you've got generational disability, how the heck are those people meant to, you know, navigate this system where people go, oh, no, 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 um, we can't help you, and they just go away? And there's certainly observably a... a uh, dispirit amount of supports available and again by no means am I uh, besmirching those that offer the services but there's no registration or experience required to be a support coordinator anyone can put up a, a shingle and provide supports whether they're registered otherwise there's obviously different requirements but at the moment it's a consumer-led model and mm. there's a lot of I guess deregulation and, and freeness with it but that brings its own risks too so so many risks the market does moderate in part but then that's people who have um, the skills that I do or similar, where I can go, um, okay, where's your policies and procedures? What qualifications has your person mm. got or what experience? Qualifications aren't the be-all and end-all, certainly not from my company. Um, 
But if you have perhaps come from the old model where there's an expectation that all those things are in place because tradition, like our, our previous service providers like Mercy Connect would have all those things in place. It's a given. Mm. We know that if we go through that provider, everything's going to be there. Mm. Um, unfortunately, for people who don't have that knowledge um, or you know don't come from a position of power... It's very dangerous. So I'll either be swayed by good, slick marketing. Potentially. Potentially, or the fact that there's no one else in the area. Yeah. So we try and um, encourage people and families to be as discerning as they possibly can. Um, ask, you know, ask the questions. Ask to see whatever it is you need to see. Um, you know, can I, can I see, can I have a copy of my case notes? Hmm. You know, just to know how to navigate that system. And unfortunately, um, yeah, there's probably... I think things like support coordination have been really underrated. Um, A good support coordinator is invaluable. Mm. Um, But as you say, a bad one's not a good thing. Yeah, and um, it's an empowerment. I think that's what people, in my view, is needing for that next thing. Would that be fair Self-advocacy. Yeah, promote self-advocacy. Promote people asking questions and... um, we um uh, we inter- interviewed a gentleman um, yesterday, and I was picking up some of the guys from Purple Chicken to go out to Red Bantam, and I just asked the question. I said, "Oh, what do you guys think makes a good support worker?" And um, they came up with some really good stuff. So we work on self advocacy all the time. Um, they came up with, "Well, they need to be able to listen to me mm. and really listen to what I'm saying." Um, they need to speak to me in a respectful way because mm. I'm just an adult. They should speak to me as an adult. Um, so that was really good. So then I thought, well, this is really interesting. So when the person came out to meet with us, um, we all sat down at the table and I said to them, can you guys explain what um, we were talking about earlier about what makes a good support worker? Almost part of the interview as such. Yeah? Exactly. Mm. So like encouraging people to um, have a say. Um, hopefully in an environment where they are listened to and be good self-advocates to go, well, actually, you're not listening to me um, or you're not meeting my needs in a safe way. Um, I'm going to say something to someone or lots of someone's. Always say it to lots of someone's. That's wonderful advice. And you've, you've given, shared many, many wonderful insights today, Jen. But I think uh, my, my, my final question is, what are some of the things, the real key things you wish the general public better understood about disability? Uh, the primary thing is disability is not a dirty word. Mm. That, you know, having a disability is not inherently bad. Uh, people are just people. Uh, it would be lovely if the word was recognised and used just as a descriptor mm. and not as given negative or derogatory connotations. That would be really lovely. Um, I would like people to know that people with disabilities are very valuable, productive, wonderful people who make a contribution to their community just by bringing diversity and their different point of view and their different experiences to any environment. It's, it's worth having. Um, I would like people to know that the NDIS is an insurance scheme and it's there for everyone. Yes. So anyone can get a disability at any time. Well, you know, we're only an aneurysm or a car accident away mm. from a disability. The insurance scheme exists for everyone. And I get really, uh, not upset, just a bit cranky. 
about the language used that it's somehow burdensome or, uh, you know, that all this money is being handed out. That's not how it works. No. The money never leaves the government, mm. ever. The person has to actually book a service, receive a service before anybody can be paid and the participant never sees the money. So that's something I'd like people to understand, you know, the actual factual correct information about what the NDIS looks like. And mostly what I want people to think about, and um, and I didn't come up with this, this is a well-known quote, the mark of any society is how they treat their most vulnerable. Well said. Yeah, well said. Jen, I, I couldn't think of a better way uh, to finish this first season of Together We Grow podcast series, and uh, I feel incredibly buoyed and um, very fortunate to have you join me today. And so thank, thank you. you, Jen, for, for who you are and what you do with your work. And as I say, unfortunately, we, we, our episode is coming to an end, but I do want to thank you and for your, your absolute passionate, ongoing support and advocacy for people with disability through the many programs and continuing to grow programs under every imagination of the uh, the chicken, the bantam, the, the stalk, uh, many more to go. So thank you, Jen. Thank you. Now, I'd like to highlight a new art program called Bright Bird Studio, which is a dedicated studio space for artists with disabilities to explore, learn, create, and enjoy opportunities for exhibition. This is a wonderful program where you can use your NDIS funding to pay for the support you need to learn and create. This could mean any type of support, including physical supports to bring your ideas to life. And if you have a genuine interest in art and a desire to explore art as perhaps a vocational focus, and meaning that you were working towards becoming an artist that creates and sells work, Brightbird Studio might be a good fit for you. So I'd encourage you, uh, with Jen's absolute blessing, to check him out on Facebook or contact Jen on 0409 That's 0409 for more information. This week, on our final episode, I leave you with a quote from Stephen Hawking, a former English theoretical physicist, cosmologist, and author who once said, My advice to other disabled people would be, concentrates on the things your disability doesn't prevent you from doing well and don't regret the things it interferes with. Don't be disabled in spirit as well as physically. I'd like to thank everyone who has downloaded or streamed this episode of Together We Grow and look forward to welcoming you back again soon for our second season where we will continue to hear stories and shared learnings and experiences from people with disability and those that support them. And remember that it is together and only together that we grow. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Together We Grow. For more information, check out our website, mercyconnect.org.au.